0: Kia ora, I'm Chelsea Daniels. It's February 14th, and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. 2023 was a year of dashed hopes for sports fans, with New Zealand missing the mark at four separate World Cups. Now, with a new All-Blacks coach, stadium proposals for downtown Auckland and the Olympics on the horizon, our athletes will be dusting themselves off and looking towards the future. So, will Scott Robertson be able to make his mark on the All-Blacks? Can the up the Ws phenomenon take the Warriors further than last year? And who's going to bring home the Olympic gold? To preview the year ahead for Kiwi Sports, we're joined on the front page by Newstalk ZB sports journalist and co-host of the Rugby Direct podcast, Elliot Smith. So, Elliot, we've got to start with the All Blacks and the new coach, Scott Robertson. The team defied expectations to make it to the final of last year's Rugby World Cup, of course. Uh, What sort of challenge does that set for Robertson this year?
1: Quite a big one, Chelsea. I mean, there's still a few months away from actually seeing this team out in the park. They've had them together for a camp in January. But he starts this job with a whole lot of experience missing from the team that got to the World Cup. Last year, Sam Whitelock's gone, Aaron Smith has gone as well, Brody Retallick as well. So a whole lot of experience won't be there lining up when they get to the start line of uh, their test season come July. But he comes in with a bit of a renewed vigour about uh, the team. There's a, a lot of feeling that they punched above their weight last year. And now with Scott Robertson, who many wanted to take the role Back in twenty twenty when he missed out to Ian Foster the first time, there is a sense that, you know, he is the right man for the job at this point in time to bring the younger generation through. And that's what he's done really well at the Crusaders, winning seven titles in seven years is connect the younger players and, and also foster relationships with those players that have been more experienced and won all blacks honors. So it's a few months away, obviously still, but there's a sense that, you know, there's a, a real excitement about what Scott Robertson might bring to this all blacks setup.
0: I mean, you've been covering rugby for years. What key skills does Robertson have that he can bring to this coaching role?
1: He's a people person, uh, I guess, and and it's not to say Ian Foster wasn't, but, you know, Scott Robertson's been famous for fostering the culture that he's built at the Crusaders since he started there in 2017, he didn't finish a year without a title, and there's been a lot of elements to what he's done there around that. Previous coaches couldn't get the best out of their All Blacks players. They weren't able to tap into what they needed to during Super Rugby season. They would come into this All Blacks setup, lay their socks off, and then When it came to the Crusaders, they weren't able to quite be at the best. Robinson sort of changed that and was able to get the best out of them. And I mentioned that team culture, famous for building campaigns or themes for seasons. He'd start the year in pre-season and say, this is what is going to be our campaign theme this year. He started in in 2017 with the Rumble in the Jungle, based on one of the most famous boxing fights of all time. He's had other ones as well. And that's been something that uh, has hallmarked his tenure at the Crusaders. So he'll look to bring those sort of elements through and, perhaps just connect with players on a different level to what Ian Foster did with his charges and his time in the All Blacks set up. It represents a massive sea change for the All Blacks. Looking back to Ian Foster's tenure but Steve Hansen before it and Sir Graham Henry before that, they're all part of the same thread that started in 2004 when Sir Graham Henry was appointed to that post. So it's the first time in a generation that there's been this sort of change and it's not just Scott Robertson coming in, it's all his assistant coaches, only one remains from last year and, and Ford's coach Jason Ryan and so a lot of the backroom staff as well, the people that keep the players you know, healthy and, and the physio, etc. That's all changed in the off-season too. So while there's a new man at the top, there's also new faces throughout the team as well. So it's going to be completely different once we get to this all-black season.
0: I wanted to be head coach. There's nothing better than my beloved Sumner. Yeah. For Scott Robertson, Razor, it all started here. I did a lot, a lot of work to be Crusaders coach in the, the Opics. But now he's in unfamiliar territory. Is there some fear in you? Well, of course there is. And like you mentioned, last year saw the departure of a number of key players, Aaron Smith, Richie Mwanga, Dane Cole, Sam Whitelock, to name a few. We're also seeing players continuing to be lured overseas by those big money contracts. So how does the talent pool look for 2024?
1: It looks a little thin, if I'm honest, Chelsea. There's always opportunities for players to come in and make names for themselves when... Key players like the ones you listed off there depart. I think first five will be a real worry for the All Blacks with Richie Mwonga departing. But Bowdoin Barrett's coming back from Japan uh, on a long-term deal through the 2027. And the Japanese yen continues to be a real issue for New Zealand rugby to try and work with. You mentioned players there that have departed on a permanent basis. Bowdoin Barrett's coming back, uh, having signed a deal. Adi Savia, Sam Kane are there temporarily. But it's a real battle for New Zealand rugby to try and convince players to stay in Again, this debate about whether the All Blacks should be able to pick players from offshore, i.e. playing in Japan, has reared its head again uh, in the off season with Robertson taking charge. There's no secret he would like to have Richie Moonga, a player he worked really closely with at the Crusaders in his time in charge there to steer the ship at number 10 this year, but that's not possible under the current New Zealand rugby rules. So, it's an ongoing battle for New Zealand rugby. They've got to find ways to work around it because they're never going to stop. They're never going to be able to compete with the Japanese yen. It's about finding ways where they can exist in harmony and and have the best in both worlds. And that may eventually mean that players can be selected from offshore.
0: And that's going to be a massive test going in for Robertson and his players. Hey, who's going to really lead the team from the front? Does the team have enough of those senior authority figures within it to steer the youngsters uh, through the season?
1: Well, I've got Bowdoin Barrett coming back. He's played more than 100 tests, so that's valuable for them. There's still a debate about the captaincy and who will take charge of that. Sam Kane is the incumbent, of course, sent off in last year's Rugby World Cup final. The feeling seems to be that... Scott Robertson might put Scott Barrett in charge, a player that was his Crusaders captain, uh, also slightly younger than Sam Kane as well, if you look through to the next World Cup, and it's about building for that next World Cup in Australia in in 2027 with, with Scott Robertson. He signed all the way through to that point in time, and these players that maybe now have 30 or 40 tests by that point are going to be 80, 90 tests come that World Cup, and there's going to be players that haven't debuted yet that'll ideally be up to sort of 30, 40 tests by that point as well. So Comes in every sort of World Cup cycle, perhaps this one more so than most, that the head coach has to find new players to bring in. Sometimes players stick around after a World Cup. This time, a lot of them have departed. So it represents, yeah, coaching level, as we've touched on, but also player-wise, a real big change for the All Blacks. And, And Scott Robertson will have to stamp his mark on this team, but also bring through some new blood as well.
0: And changing gear a bit, the other team that all eyes will be on this year will, of course, be the Warriors. So now, in hindsight, how stunning is it that the team came back from such a poor result in 2022 to reach the semifinals last year?
1: Yeah, I don't think many picked that for the Warriors, and, and that's probably what they've done for the last 25 or so years they've been in the comp, is that they've defied expectations uh, when they've been quite low, and then other times when you pump up their tyres, they've failed to reach expectations, and that's probably been the way the Warriors have gone but not many would have picked that they'd get within one win of a final last year and play some really entertaining rugby league going through I don't think they had the roster to get to the top four last year I thought maybe top eight nine ten might be their sort of level but uh, they continue to string wins together and just became a really irresistible force on and off the park the way they were playing but also the fan engagement that they got through the year as well so for the Warriors, the acid test always comes in, in backing up a strong season. It's never particularly been, as I said, their strong suit throughout the year, and uh, they'll go in this year with much more expectation on them than they started uh, season 2023 with. Andrew Webster, their head coach, is in his second year in charge, uh, got to a very high level last year, but uh, we not able to quite get to the grand final. Now all eyes will be on them. They can't go under the radar anymore this year, so it's, it's going to be an interesting one to see how they go.
0: the whole up-the-was phenomena that we saw last year. You don't often see that kind of national momentum behind a single team, hey? So where do you think that came from?
1: Well, I think it's been untapped for a while, and I think the Warriors can certainly teach uh, a number of other sporting organisations in New Zealand some lessons about fan engagement and developing things organically. The the up-the-was thing, no-one quite knows where it came from. There's been all sorts of articles that have claimed to sort of find the origin of it, but it still remains sort of unclear where it all started but it grew and people began saying it and before you know it it became this sort of team anthem as well or team motto throughout the season too so they've tapped into something that I don't think sporting organizations in New Zealand have done particularly well in their fan engagement and that is just relating to them at a grassroots level and being the outlet for this team and you don't see that support for the All Blacks. You don't see it at Super Rugby level or cricket or wherever it might be. It's really uniquely Warriors. And then their catchment has been very, very impressive in being able to do that. And by the end of the season, you had the team song being sung. Now, you can't imagine any Super Rugby team or singing a you know, team song alongside their fans in the stands, it just doesn't happen so the challenge has been laid down I think for these other sports is to follow the Warriors lead, find out what works for them and and do it yourselves and, and, and do it because clearly there is a market where New Zealand sports fans actually want to be engaged with the team rather than going to a sports event and sitting on their hands and not making any sound.
0: Elliot, over the weekend, we saw yet another proposal for a new stadium in downtown Auckland. How many proposals are there now, and it, does it seem like any of them will actually get off the ground?
1: By my count, Chelsea were up to eight, all with varying proposals behind them and backers behind them. in uh, you know, some have got more high-powered businessmen behind them or uh, sports administrators behind them. Uh, The one that came out on the weekend is backed uh, seemingly by New Zealand Rugby. There's a suspicion there'll be an All Blacks hotel on the site. It's uh, got a very grand sort of design that the organisers hope they'll have some landmark capabilities on the Auckland waterfront. But the fact of the matter is that Auckland is a long way off from having the stadium. There's so much to sort out in terms of Eden Park and whether that's an ongoing concern. That's one of the eight proposals that have going to front council to keep going with Eden Park. And the problem with that as well is that Eden Park falls outside the Auckland stadiums and therefore Auckland council structure. So they've got to figure out a way that they handle that. I think ultimately this has been a decision and a discussion that Auckland has, has gone on with for 20, 30 years, basically all the way back to the 2011 world cup when New Zealand won the hosting rights and they're deciding on stadium New Zealand. They couldn't get Auckland council buy-in at that point. I'm not sure what's changed since then, now there are a few different faces at the council table. So it's going to require someone to champion the concept and, and someone to back it financially. Goldman Sachs is involved in this new one we've heard about over the course of the weekend. Uh, a lot of people are sort of saying, you know, can sport sell these stadiums out? Is there still a place for it? Well, I think there needs to be some rationalisation of the stadiums in Auckland, and that's the ones the Auckland Council owns. So North Harbour Stadium, Mount Smart are among them. They're going to figure out what they want to do with those. And then also figure out how they approach the Eden Park solution, which is, again, uh, is one that doesn't fall inside their remit. So it's a long way off from happening, but the conversation is happening, so it, perhaps it's closer than it has been for a wee while.
0: I mean, Eden Park is just, like, hallowed ground, right? Can we really say goodbye to it?
1: 100%. Uh, look, it is a great ground, and it's held you know some great memories for New Zealanders and Aucklanders over, over a number of years, but if that's the decision that's made by Auckland Council to change the stadium and... and build something on the waterfront then Aucklanders and New Zealanders will move with it. Plenty of people had great memories of Athletic Park in Wellington but no one's really missed that since it was demolished uh, 20 odd years ago. Christchurch Stadium, Lancaster Park was bowled after the earthquakes. Plenty of good memories, myself included uh, there and, and great sports events that I've been to but better times are ahead with the Christchurch Stadium. You remember the memories but you can't use that as an excuse to hang on to stadiums past the use by date if that's what Auckland Council finds. The plans for the Te Toangaroa bid include a signature All Blacks hotel integrated into the 50,000-seater stadium with a retractable roof. The stadium, hoped to be built in the Old Auckland Railway Yard by Spark Arena, features a unique design inspired by Auckland's cultural heritage. Auckland Council will make a recommendation by the end of March on the precinct, among the other proposals, with this pitch backed by New Zealand rugby.
0: Something else that the country can get behind this year is the Olympics. Uh, New Zealand had a record medal hole in 2021, of course, with 20. Uh, do you think we can match or top that this year?
1: My gut feeling is no. <laughs> Sorry to be a downer. My gut feeling is no at this point in time. I think it's going to be a slightly down Olympics compared to this one. The eight won a gold medal last time and the rowing. That won't be there this time or at least as, as strong. I've actually done the numbers in my head and I can't put together an idea of where New Zealand gets to the same number of golds last time. I and mean, Lisa Carrington's probably going to account again for roughly 50% of New Zealand's medals. She's that dominant and hard to not see her being as dominant again as she was. She's just an absolute freak in the boat. So I expect her to collect a few more gold medals. I don't think we'll get as many in rowing as we did uh, last time. Cycling, track cycling is always an interesting one. You'd hope the sevens, but it can be an interesting code, sevens. You can be on your day one day and collect a gold medal, and then the next day you're sort of finishing fifth or sixth. So I can't see them getting as many medals as last time. I'd love to see a swimming medal. Lewis Clearbert, Erica Fairweather in the pool. It's been such a long time for New Zealand uh, since we collected a medal in the pool and in the swimming. It's such one of those top events at the Olympics, isn't it? The pool and the track and field are the ones that everyone gravitates to as being the two major events. We had Daniel Loder with his two golds in 1996. Moss to went very close in 2008, but I'd love to see a swimming medal. Unfortunately, I just can't see us meeting that tally of, of 2021, which was an Olympics out of the box. It'll be nice to see them back to some form of normality in Paris this year.
0: And Speaking of global tournaments, the Commonwealth Games has of course run into a spot of bother lately. Uh, do we think it will find a new home this year?
1: I don't think so. I think it's time to bin it. I think its days are, are done. Unfortunately, because I, I've enjoyed watching the Commonwealth Games through the years, but it feels like Birmingham in 2022 might have been the last one. Victoria pulled out of hosting in 2026. They're trying to find somewhere to host the next one. Auckland is, in theory, or New Zealand's looking at 2034. Well, I don't think they're going to exist by that point. You know, it just needs some leadership. It needs someone to basically pull the pin and say, they were great for 100 years or wherever we got to, but it's time is done in the sporting landscape and, and that requires leadership and I know that uh, they've just changed the leadership of the Commonwealth Sporting Federation but that could be a short-term job I suspect I just think the way that sport is now everyone's more connected than perhaps we were in the heyday of the Commonwealth Games or the Empire Games where you left New Zealand doing you met up as the Commonwealth every four years there's world championships and various sports that are much bigger now than Commonwealth Games I know they're seen as a stepping stone for the Olympics, but in many ways, the world championships are that or equal of the Olympics. You have the youth Olympics for that as well. I just, if no one wants to put their hand up, then it's time to put them to bed. And I think probably time that we uh, wave goodbye to the Commonwealth Games and and say thanks for the fun over the last hundred years or so.
0: Well, I guess it's pretty pricey to put them on as well and have everything ready for them. Is that the real spot of bother that cities are coming to terms with?
1: Yeah, that's it, exactly. And, And regional Victoria, the idea was that they could do up some of the stadiums around Victoria and then host the Commonwealth Games and sort of do it that way. And that's what a lot of venues have done. Birmingham built a couple of things and found a way to make it happen. But it's such a burden on the cities themselves and also the the wider governments of those countries as well. Probably not as bad as the Olympics have crippled some of these nations, but they just leave a financial cost that they just can't recoup compared to maybe the heyday of these games. And I don't think Birmingham would have got return on its tourist dollar in, in 2022 for the amount they got there. Gold Coast in 2018 built a few new arenas to get it going. But I just think ultimately, if no one's willing to host it, then you've kind of just got to write it off.
0: And looking at both the Olympics and of course our team sports, are there any superstars in the making we should keep an eye out for this year?
1: If you look at rugby, as we touched on there, it's going to be a big year for some of these new players coming through. Uh, Scott Robertson's targeting the the second role as players that he's looking out for this year. There's a lot of young ones uh, around the New Zealand Super Rugby franchises. So that's a, a real key one to look out for. I think... With the netball as well, there's a couple of young players coming through there that look really, really promising. That uh, about to make their debut for the the silver ferns. Amelia Wormsley is one of them. That's um, been a star on the rise. And then cricket uh, is at an interesting point as well. With the black caps and white ferns, there's so much cricket coming up. In the next 18 months for both of these teams, uh, the White Ferns form has been pretty poor recently. They've got some veterans that are about to probably call it quits in the next couple of years. So, you know, we may risk being left behind when it comes to women's cricket. If you look at the other teams around the globe, England, India, Australia being a big one and also Pakistan are developing really, really quickly. We need some young female cricketers to put their hand up and, uh, and show what they're capable of.
0: And look, finally, we're looking for bold predictions. Will it be a premiership win for the Warriors or a 30 medal Olympic haul? You've already kind of uh, scratched that one out. Uh, What are your boldest sports predictions for the year ahead, Elliot?
1: Okay, right. Um, I I think the Warriors won't win the premiership. I think they'll get pretty close again, top four. I think Andrew is the kind of coach that can get them up to that level. Unfortunately, I, I think they'll just fall short again. I'd love to see them at the final, but I can't see them winning it, so... It's probably not particularly bold saying the Warriors aren't going to win a premiership. Sadly, I think Scott Robertson's going to go through his year with two defeats, first year in charge, so wee bit of an up-and-down year, perhaps. I think, though, if you told him now he's going to have two losses in his first season in charge of 14 matches, he'd probably take that. And then I think, if I look at the medal hall, I think New Zealand will get 15 medals in total at the Paris Olympics. How about that?
0: Thanks, Elliot. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Seals with sound engineer Paddy Fox. I'm Chelsea Daniels. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.